0: All right. Hey, Ascent. I am Bill Stevens, one of the pastors here. Hey, yeah, Todd, can you grab that for me? Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you uh, for coming today. I I think that God's got something in store for us today. It's gonna be great. Um, uh, Perfect. Perfect. Right on. Um, but before we get started, I want to I wanna just reiterate a little bit of what Beth was saying, especially around that college stuff. Obviously, for those of you guys that have been around, you know that I have a deep love and appreciation for college students. I, I worked with college students for 21 years. I've got three now in college, so you can be praying for me for that. As Maggie heads off to college this fall, too, um, we'll be talking about debt today a little bit, so that's a good. Um but, but I, I, I just love them. I love college students. And listen, this is what you might not know. Some of you might think back at your college experience or you might think ahead at college and just go, oh, they're just going off. and They're going to go have a blast. They're going to be partying on the weekends. It's no big deal. But listen, here's what I do know about college students. While some of that might be true, you know that at the end of the day when they're laying their head on the pillow, there's a big part of them that misses home that misses hang, hanging out or misses just kind of a little bit of that touch of home. And that's what we get to give them. When we do these care packages for them, we get to just tell them, look, you're, you're cared for, and here's a little bit of an edge of home for you. And so we want to put these, these little packages together and give them out to the people that are, that are going on to see you, that are c- coming here and calling a scent their church. We want to give them out to you guys that know somebody that's far away. We want to give it to those guys too. And so we want to just load these care packages with stuff. So let's go all out for it. If you want to buy a mini refrigerator, buy one for them, okay? We'll stick it in the basket with it. You got a mini refrigerator with your stuff. You get a mini refrigerator, we'll raffle it off to them. If you want to get a ski pass for them, we'll raffle it off to them. If you want to get a bunk bed for them, we'll raffle it off for them. We're going to give them everything. Or if you just want to give them some top ramen, they will take that too, okay? So just go out, get whatever you can over these next couple of weeks. We'll gather it all up. And ja- my wife Jackie and some other people are going to get, put them all together in this stuff. And we're going to bless the socks off of college students, okay? So do that. The other one is is the Cuba mission trip. You guys, we talked about it. We've talked about it for a while in here. That Cuba is our international mission opportunity that we have, and we've already gone there with our high school students. And now it's a chance for you guys to go over Thanksgiving break. It's 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 uh, the, that week leading up and through Thanksgiving. If you, it's for anybody. We want, we want a mom and a daughter to go. We want, a, we want a, a, a grandfather to go. We want any of you to consider going to Cuba. And we nailed down flights. We need nailed down cost. All that information is going to be right out there under the Cuba sign that's out there. There's a big, huge Cuba sign. There'll be some people out there that answer some questions. Go talk to them about it. But listen... You can't say, okay, I'm going to pray about it over this next month, and then eventually I might make a decision. You can't do that because we got to commit to these plane tickets. So pray about it over the next couple of days, not the next couple of months, and let us know, and I can tell you what the answer to that prayer is. God wants you to go. There you go. So, uh, so go. Go on the mission trip to Cuba. You're not going to regret it. It's a, it's a fantastic opportunity and a connect point that you can have with a bunch of other people too. So get out there and sign up for that, okay? All right, let's get into what we're, going, what we're talking about today. Um, I'm gonna start it this way. I know it doesn't look it, but I've been working out. I have been, I know, it. I've been working out. Now here's what I haven't been doing. I haven't been lifting, because I can't lift anymore, because I tried to keep up with my son with lifting and I got arthritis in my elbows, so I can't lift anymore. I, 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 I'm not running on the street. I used to love running on the street and just run through Rock Creek and looking in the windows as you're running. That's not, 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 weird, but I was running through Rock Creek. I'm not, I, I can't do that because I've got arthritis in my knees and all that, all that pounding on the pavement is not good for me. So I'm not running. I'm not doing that rowing machine anymore because the doctor looked at my lower back and said, you have a degenerative arthritic condition in your lower back that will only get worse over time. Awesome, awesome diagnosis. So I'm not doing that either. My chiropractor, Greg Pearson, is working doing miracle work just to get me to swing my golf club. So, uh, I, so I, I'm not doing any of that. But here's what I am doing. I'm going to the gym, and I am, I'm on the treadmill, and I raise it to 15 degrees. A good friend of mine told me that here's, a, here's an exercise you can do that won't hurt your knees. And I raise it to 15 degrees to the highest level that it can be raised, and then I walk on the treadmill for an hour to an hour and a half. I walk. And it's hard for me, you guys. I got to bury my pride when it comes to this cuz I got the triathletes coming up next to me sprinting on the treadmill. I want to trip them. I want to tell them, "Go outside, you weird triathlete." Sorry for you guys that are, but but I'm just walking on the treadmill, just walking and walking and walking it for an hour and an hour and a half. And here's the deal, you guys. When I do that, I will not give up. I will not walk for 15 or 20 minutes. When I'm on that thing, it will be an hour or an hour and a half. It will not be 18 minutes. When I'm at the 18-minute mark and I'm hating it, I'm still doing, I count how many steps it's going to take to finish. I'll sit there and go, okay, it's 120 steps a minute and I've got, got 48 minutes to go. I'll do all that while I'm on the treadmill. I will not quit that. Because I know that the biggest battle that I faced was getting to the gym, not being at the gym. The biggest battle was getting past the gauntlet of of Chick-fil-A, Taco Bell, McDonald's, Sonic, to get me to the gym. And so if I can get past that, I can last an hour on that stupid treadmill. I can do it. I'll I'll turn on Say Yes to the Dress and just watch that for the hour while I do that. But I'll stick with it for the whole hour. I won't give up. I'll I'll just grit my teeth and it's determination to make it happen. But here's what I find, though. If I extend that out to anything longer term, it's easy to quit on it. If I look at exercise over four months or five months or a year and I have this goal to do that, it's easy to fall back, to shrink back, to quit on that idea. It's easy for me to quit on a diet that i I have the diet and I'll do the 30-day challenge, but 32 days, that's harder. And I know that some of you come by, oh, you need to make it a lifestyle change. Okay, that's great, but it's hard. That's where I quit on the lifestyle change part of that. It's so much easier to just shrink back and to not do it. I find that I make a commitment to want to spend more time with the Lord through spending time in the Word or spending time in prayer, and, and, I'll, and I'll be doing good for a while, and then, I'll, and then I'll just quit it over any lengthy period of time, and it's because I can't just keep gritting my teeth and making it happen. And so eventually, I just kind of lose that, that, that I guess to get exhausted, and I quit. Let me tell you something else. I was, I was up in Seattle and, and back when I was working up there, and, and me and my friend Mike and, and our staff, we went out on a walk in the Cascade Mountains. And while we're out there, Mike says to us all, he says, I want you to pick out something in all of this terrain. I want you to pick out something that is kind of reflective of your life. And I've shared this with some of you guys before, that you pick something that that is reflective of your life. And and so I walked around, I'm going, this is stupid, you know, the trees or the rocks or whatever. And I finally came up to this river's edge, and I looked in the river, and I'm going, I feel like God is saying, jump in. It was right at the tail end of my time up there in Seattle. I knew it was time for me to move on to something else. I was afraid of that, and I felt like God was saying, jump in. I know you don't know what's around the corner, but I want you to try. I want you to jump in anyway, and trust me that I'm going to take you someplace around the corner. Okay? He, didn't, he wasn't saying literally jump in. I would have died of hypothermia, but he was saying just jump in to this. Now, when the staff came around, I told them, I said, here's, what I, here's what's happening. Here's what I feel like God is saying to me, saying to me, just jump in and trust me with this. And I said, but here's my answer to God. I said, no, I don't, I don't want to. I don't trust it around the corner. That's the, who knows what's going to happen there? It's way easier where I'm standing here on the, sh- on the, on the shore, and so I don't want to jump in. And so I say, no. I look at that for all of us, and I go, why is it so easy for us to say no. Why is it so easy for us to shrink back? Why is it so easy for us to quit? What happens to us and why are, we, why are we pulled that way? And what happens when something is laid out in front of you that is so good, that is so good for you personally, so good for somebody else, that you know, I just got to do this? What happens when, when something is so good for your own personal health physical or mental health, that you're just going, I've got to do this? What happens when something is so good for you and the change you need in your life that you're going, i got to do this? What happens when something comes forward that is so good, that it's such an awesome opportunity to make the difference in somebody else's life? What if something like that comes forward for you and it's placed right in front of you that you know God is just dogging you? Just go, come on, I, I want you to step forward with this. This is going to be good for you. What happens when something like that is set right in front of you? Do we say, yes, I'm going for it, I'm going to do this, this is going to be good for me, this is going to be good for somebody else, I'm going to do this? Or do we we fall back and just say, I don't know, I'll probably quit, I don't know, I think I'd rather just say no, I'll shrink back. See, we're doing this series called Tug of War, and I feel like God, in a lot of ways, is tugging on one end of the rope, just saying, I've got this unbelie- this life for you to live, and I've got these opportunities for you to have, both for your own personal good and for the good of others, and I'm pulling you in that direction. And we know that the other things, the things that haunt us, the stuff of our past, and the, the, no, the no and the quit in us is pulling the other direction. And we want to talk more about that. We want to, we want to figure out how, what do what we do in this, and how is God inspiring us to let go of this end of the rope and to let him pull us that direction? So let's pray about that, and then we're going to dig into that in, the, in light of a man named Nehemiah. Father, we thank you for this time today, and we pray that you would bless it. We thank you that we can take steps closer to you, God, some of the things that I'm going to say today, I know um, it might cut to the core with some people. And, 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 and I pray, Lord, that, that all of that will be covered by your love. It will be covered by your passion for us. It will be covered by your, your, your heart that is not filled with condemnation or anything, but it was only filled with love and joy for us. I pray that we would grab hold of that as we hear this stuff today, as we dig into your Word today. It's in your name we pray, Amen. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to we are going to um, look into we're going to look into the life of a guy named of uh, Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a guy that I talked about this last week for some of you, but I recognize some of you don't come to church every week or you missed last week. And so I'm going to give you a little bit more background again on Nehemiah. And then we're going to go into what, what, what the next part of Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 6 today, okay? So here's a little background with Nehemiah that for some of you it will be a review because you just heard some of this last week, okay? So Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king, a cupbearer to the king is someone that guards the king from, from people that are trying to poison him by taking the, drinking the wine or eating the food before it gets to the king. It goes to the cupbearer first. The cupbearer is a trusted a trusted part of the king's court because the, he needs to trust that this guy is going to take care of him as it comes through this guy, okay? So the cupbearer to the king is big. The cupbearer to the king is a friend to the king. A cupbearer to the king is someone the king knows and sees every day. That's enjoying the same food as the king, is enjoying the same drink as the king that's the cupbearer to the king and that was nehemiah to king artaxerxes from the persian empire in around 450 bc about a hundred years before that the babylonian empire came into the nation of israel and took over the southern region of judah and they they took those people in that southern region and they spread them out all over the babylonian empire But when the Persian Empire came in, when when King Cyrus and the Persian Empire came in, they said, you people can come back into your homeland. You people can come back to Jerusalem. You can come back and restore it the way it once was. Go ahead. And so Cyrus allowed those people to come back into Jerusalem to restore Jerusalem. Well, now Artaxerxes is in control. And Artaxerxes has a guy come to him with, with Nehemiah sitting right there and gives him an update on what's going on in Jerusalem. And the guy comes in and says, it's, been, it's terrible. It's not going the way we want. We've been trying for decades to restore this city and it's not happening. The warlords that surround the city, those, the, the people that are, that, are, that are not good are surrounding the city and they are controlling everything that's coming in and coming out of the city. And so we're not, we can't reestablish what we once had because these people are still in control around us. And the city is still just in ruins and we don't know what to do. Nehemiah hears that as this guy, this is being reported to Artaxerxes, Nehemiah hears that and he cuts him to the core, drops him to his knees in tears, and he's going, I, this is where uh, my homeland, this is where all of my ancestors are from, i got to do something about this. And he spends some time in prayer with God and just say, God, what do I do? I'm a cupbearer to the king, but what can I do? Should I go back? Am I supposed to go back? Can I, can I go back? and help these people in Jerusalem. And finally, he comes to the king, and the king notices he's distraught. He says, what's going on? And Nehemiah says to him, he says, I have got to go help my people in Jerusalem. I got to go help them. King Artaxerxes surprises him and says, yes, you can go. In fact, I'll even fund it for you to help you to, 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 to restore that city. I'll help you with it. So Nehemiah takes off, heads off to Jerusalem, gets to Jerusalem, and the first thing he does is he rides around the city a bunch of times to see what in the world's going on here, what's the problem here, and he recognizes it, that the warlords are in control of the city, and that what needs to happen is we need to re-fortify our city, we need to build this wall around our city, we need to, there's so many breaches in the wall, there's so many low spots in the wall, the wall is in ruins, we got to build this thing back up to keep these, these, the, the warlords from the outside to, from them controlling it, because they we're controlling everything, we got to build this thing back up. And so so Nehemiah gathers these people together, gathers all these people together and says, you guys, we're in this together. And he casts this phenomenal vision for everybody to say, we're in this, let's do this, let's build this together. You see unbelievable leadership in Nehemiah while he's doing that. Jim and I love this part of Nehemiah because it reminds us of a sent church. Because we look at where we're at right now as Ascent and we're going, if we really want to make a difference in that community, if we, want to, if we want the community to just go, man, we love it that Ascent Church is here, the things that they are doing for our community, and if we want to make a difference in this world, and we want to put a dent and in, in help the kingdom of God in this world, if we want to do this, it's not going to be me and Jim. It is going to be us. And we got to rally together to build and to do this thing together. And so I love that. It's right where we're at. Well, that's where Nehemiah is at. And he's rallying the troops to do this thing and to build this wall. They start building. And the wall is being built, and, it's, and he's fixing all the problems with it. And he's take, fixing all the breaches in it. He's up there building this wall with these people. But he's got opposition. He's got some people that are looking at him going, I don't like it that you're doing this. I think you're crazy to do this. The, the opposition, to the people on the outside, that's going to lose their power because they have the power. They were controlling everything in and out of Jerusalem, and they're losing that power. The key opposition was a guy named Sam Ballot. That guy was trying to, to keep Nehemiah from building the wall. And so he started spreading all kinds of rumors around it. He started saying, Nehemiah's just trying to get the control. He's trying to, he's trying to raise up an army to beat Artaxerxes. He's, trying to, he's doing everything he can to spread the rumors to stop this, but it's not working. They continue to build. They continue to build. And then he's trying to get them, do more stuff. They continue to build. He finally decides the only way to stop Nehemiah is to kill him. And so he said, said, I'm going to send a messenger to him. I'm going to tell him about what's going on. I'm going to to ask him to come to this village with me, and that's where I'm going to kill him. And so that's Sambalat's plan with Nehemiah. But Nehemiah knows that plan is coming. And here's what we get in chapter 6, okay? Here's what we get. When Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no more breaks in it, even though I had yet installed the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent this message. Come and meet with us in Kephriam in the valley of Ono. I knew they were scheming to hurt me, so I sent messengers back with them saying this, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. Why should the work come to a standstill just so, just so I can come down and see you? Four times they sent this message and four times I gave them my answer. The fifth time, same messenger, same message, Sam Ballot sent an unsealed letter with this message. The word is out among the nations and Geshem says it's true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. That's why you're rebuilding the wall. The word is it that you want to be king and that you've appointed prophets to announce in Jerusalem there is a king in Judah. The king is going to be told all this. Don't you think we should sit down and have a talk? I sent him back this. There's nothing, there's nothing to what you're saying. You've made it all up. They were trying to intimidate us into quitting. They thought they'll give up. They'll never finish it. I prayed, give me strength. Now, something interesting about this passage, okay, when I was back in early on and doing ministry, a guy named Earl Palmer was a senior pastor of the church that I was working at. And he said to me, he says, Bill, I want you to find a pastor mentor in your life, or I want you to find an author mentor in, in your life. I want you to find someone that will speak into your life that you might not ever meet, but will still inspire you. I want you to to get to know that author through their work or get to know that pastor through their work. And I did that. And I got to know, I, I got an author mentor and a guy named Gordon McDonald and I got a pastor mentor and a guy named Andy Stanley. And I listened to this Andy Stanley, a guy from North Point Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and I listened to his sermons and I, and I watched the way he was doing ministry and I was so respected all that he was doing with it. And, and, and I thought, gosh, I, I want to I wanna learn from that man. Well, one of the things that he talked about years and years ago is he talked about a life verse that came from Nehemiah chapter 6. And I thought to myself, what in the world did we just read that would be someone's life verse? A life verse is something that you would say, I hang a lot of what I do on that verse. I I filter a lot of what I do through that verse. And I'm going, what in the world did we just read that would leave someone with a a life verse that would come from it? But as he shared that with me, it resonated with me, and it made me start to think more about that too. and 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 it hits me too. As I listen to it, I'm going, that is so right on. Listen to what this, and you could have easily have missed it. He says, Come and meet with us at Kephraim in the Valley of Ono. I knew they were scheming to hurt me, so I sent messengers back with this. I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. See, Nehemiah went to Jerusalem and he climbed the wall and he got to the top of the wall and he, and he gathered these other people around and he had them all stand there to, to, to do the work and, 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 and the opposition came and he turned to that opposition and he says, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. He looks at it and he says, God has, has called me to this place. He has designed me for this. He has inspired me. He's provided for this. I know that I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. He sees the, 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 the people that are there that are trying to pull him down. He sees the temptation there that's trying to pull him down. He knows from his past there's been times that he has been pulled down from it. But in this moment, in this situation, he is saying, no, not now. Right now, I am doing a great work. And I cannot come down until it is accomplished. I got to build something here. And the Lord has laid it right on, it's so obvious he's laid it right on my heart. That he's got to, I got to build this right here. I got to build this wall and I am not coming down. He flat had to stand on it. And he had to make that strong of a statement to someone that was out to, to destroy what he was going to do and really to kill him too. He had to stand there and say, no, no, not today. I'm not coming down. See, a lot of us have our wall. All of us have our wall. All of us have that thing that we got to go climb and we got to say, I'm going to stand on this wall and I am not coming down. Some of you guys are parents and you guys have just persevered through your summer. <laughs> you have made it to the end of the summer. The school year is starting. You're almost made it to the end of the summer. And your school year is starting, and your summer has been so hard. You're going. When's the daycare? I mean, school. When's that starting up again for my kids? When can I get them out of the house? When is when is that? When can I get past the the the, the 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 When can I see their carpet again? You know, I, can't, I haven't seen their carpet in three months in their bedroom. When can I see that again? You're looking at it you're going, when, can I, when can, I, can, I, can, I, can I give them away to someone else? Thank God for teachers that care for our kids because we need them to because we're done caring for them. You know, we want them to go, when can I, when can I get rid of, of this, of the, of the hard stuff that comes with the summer? You know, you've got some of that. I know that some of you are going, man, my kids has been fighting all summer. They've been asking me what's for lunch and what's for dinner all summer, they've been snacking all summer, you're struggling with it. At one point, Jackie, at the end of the summer with our kids when they were younger, Jackie reached the end of a rope and she finally just said, all right, from t- for the rest of this day, you are- I am no longer mom to you. I am Jackie. You will call me Jackie for the rest of the day. You will not call me mom. You know, it was that end of the rope moment where she's going, I can't handle this anymore, we get to those points. Your kid's in middle school, and you're going, man, I cannot figure you out. Your kid's in high school, and you're going, man, who are you? <laughs> you know, and you stink now because, you know, the dudes do. You know, I just go, what, what's going on? And there's a point where you just go, can I keep doing this? That's where you got to recognize God's got you on a wall. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord above. And while we might not say our kids are perfect, the gift is perfect. And God has given that to you. And God has you on that wall. And he's saying to you on that wall, he is saying, look, stand on that. Don't give up. Don't quit. Stand on it. Stand on that wall. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Now I know that some of you would say, "I don't know if I could say I'm doing a great work in raising my kids. I don't know if I'm doing a great work. In fact, I'm probably doing a pathetic work." That's what I, a lot of times that's the way I feel. I'm not doing a great work. But look, the great work is not in what we accomplish. It's not ours. The great work is standing into the work that God has called us to do. That's great work because it's God's work. If every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord, then this is great work. And I'm standing here doing great work, the the work that God has created me and called me to do and inspired me to do and provided for me to do. I'm standing on this wall doing this great work and I am not going to come down. This is the job that God's given me to do to parent these kids. When you look at it as a, as a, in a marriage and you look at your spouse and you just go, man, that is work that God has given you to do. It it, it says in the Bible that marriage is God's idea, and he says, for this reason, a man should not leave his mother and his father, and join, the man should leave his mother and his father, join to his wife, and the two shall become one. It's marriage is God's idea. This is God's handiwork. This is every good and perfect gift. God has given that to you, and he's saying to you, stand on that wall. Stand on that wall. He's saying, today, I'm going to do a great work when I do weddings and I stand in front and I talk to our, the bride and the groom, I talk to them about things like like compromise. And I talk to them about things like pursuit and that you got to pursue each other and keep pursuing each other. And I talk to them about things like winning and losing, and that we need to redefine the word win. That it's no longer I won the argument, but if you made the other person feel less about themselves, you lost. And that we've got to start learning what really what winning an argument looks like in our marriage. That's part of the work of marriage. And I am standing here doing a great work. And I am not going to come down. You know the things that might pull you away from it. And you going, no way, I'm not coming down. This is, this, is God. this is the work that God has given me to do. And I'm going to do this work. That's the wall that he's got you on. See, what I'm talking about, what we're talking about here is, an idea, is, the, is the concept of steadfastness. You see it throughout the Bible, this idea of being steadfast in the Lord. That word steadfast means this. Okay, there's a simple definition for it. It means firmly loyal or constant, unswerving. It's unswerving. That's what steadfastness means. Now look at what it says in Psalm 51. It says, create in me a pure heart. You see it throughout the Bible, this idea of steadfast and unswerving. It says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Renew a spirit within me that is unswerving, that can stand on a wall and say, I am not coming down because I am doing great work. See God's role in these passages. There's a couple of passages. See God's role in this. God is going to give us the, the, the strength and the ability to say, Okay, I can do this because God is instilling in me a spirit that is unswerving. That is is steadfastness. Look what it says in 1 Peter 5.10. It says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Look at who wrote that. That's Peter that wrote that, that made all kinds of mistakes. It has all kinds of history, all kinds of things that he could say is pulling in one direction. But he's going, he will restore you even from that stuff. He'll restore you to this place where he's going to give you the strength to have an unswerving resolve to do what God has called me to do. Look at what it says. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this, and this is an umbrella around steadfast. He says, with all of this going for us, my dear, dear friends, stand your ground and do not hold back. Throw yourself into the work of the master, this great work. Throw yourself into the work of the master, confident, that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. Confident of that. What gives us that confidence, that unswerving confidence? That's that steadfastness that comes from the Lord. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. The, that's the blueprint of what God gives us through his Holy Spirit. And that's what you see. When 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 the Holy Spirit is is within us, we we see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control come out. Well, that word faithfulness in there can be interchanged with another word, steadfastness. Faithfulness and steadfastness. Sometimes you see translations say, instead of faithfulness, it says steadfastness. Those two things are interchangeable. That God's faithfulness He gives to us that is unswerving. And that faithfulness that we can have can be unswerving. And that we can, and that that's, it's a, it's a faithfulness that we stand on this wall and we know that the Lord has called us here and we confidently stand there knowing that God gives us the strength to say, today I'm doing a great work and I am not coming down. Is God saying yes to this? And are we saying yes to this? Now, now, as we talk about that, we, we have to talk about Some of the really hard stuff that some of us have been dogged with over the years. Some of us have just been, we've been pushing it off. We've been stiff-arming it. We've been saying, no, I I, I get it. I'll try it. And then we just don't. we got to recognize that there's a ladder in front of us, and some of us need to step on it. And we need to move up that ladder, and we got to stand on that wall and say, I'm going to do a great work. For some of you in this room, you got to look at your weight. you got to look at your weight right now, and you got to know that diabetes is chasing you. Or maybe it's caught up to you. And you know it. And friends have said, gosh, I need to do something about this. You've got a doctor that says, we got to do something about this. And you've said over and over and over again, I'll try. I'll do it at some point, I'll do it. Some of you are in that place. And God might be saying, Here's a ladder. It's time for you to climb the ladder. It's time for you to get on that wall and say, Today I'm going to do a great work. Today I'm going to find that trainer. Today I'm going to go to that gym. Today I'm going to start that diet. I'm going to go stand on a wall. And I'm going to do a great work and I'm not coming down. Some of you need to draw a line in the sand and say, It's time to do this. Now, I know that you go, wait a minute, that's not, that's not, you know, uh, some sort of of spiritual thing. That's just me and my health, as if God doesn't care about our health. You see, we, we try to separate the secular and the spiritual, but are you kidding me? It's all, it's all part of God at work, and God cares for our bodies, and God cares for our health. And when I did college ministry, the, the slogan to our college ministry is real life in Jesus Christ because Jesus cares about our real life. And our real life situations as even our health situations. And this might be one of those times where God is flat telling you it's time to climb the ladder. I know that it is difficult. I know that you got to go through a, a lot of the, of, the, uh, of the gauntlet to get there. But you got to get the ladder and take a step. For some of you, it's your debt. Some of you are so overwhelmed in debt that you're just going, man, I don't know what to do. And it paralyzes you from being able to do anything else. It paralyzes you. You just sit there and you're going, man, someday I'll try to figure that out. And you just don't. And we got to look at your debt. And maybe it's time to climb the ladder and to go meet with a financial counselor. Someone that can help you with that decision around debt. You guys, I have to tell you this. With me, I, I met with someone, a financial counselor, around debt, around my kids with school debt. And you know what he told me to do? He said, just ask your congregation to pay for your kids' debt. (laughs) Yeah, right, right, right. I'm not going to do that. You're not going to pay for my debt because then you can certainly ask me, will you help me pay for my debt? No, I'm I'm not going to do that. You're not going to do that. We're going to actually go to a good financial counselor and talk about debt. We're going to climb a wall stand on it and say, we're going to do this. I got to do this. I'm going to do a good work. I'm going to do good work and I'm not coming down. Some of you guys have a, a, you have a habit that you know you have to break. Some of you have an addiction that you know is taking your life. You know it is. Some of you have those things and you know it's time to climb a ladder. Some of you guys know that your addictions are affecting all the rest of your life. You know that 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 alcohol is affecting it. You know that that pornography is affecting it. You know that whatever your, your addiction is, it's affecting your life. And you know that it's time to climb a ladder and stand on a wall and say, I'm going to do a great work. It's time to go talk to somebody about it. It's time to go see a counselor about it. It's time to say, I, I'm gonna, I've, I've tried, I've done this, but to this time I'm going to do it. I'm going to stand up there, I'm going to do this through the strength that God gives us. For some of you, you look. I want, I want you to look at your marriage. Where are you at this year compared to last year? Are you, are you closer together or further away? Are you just a tiny bit further away? Because a tiny bit further away this year is a tiny bit more further away next year. And a tiny bit further away next year is a long ways away down the road. And what do you need to do to climb that ladder and stand on that thing and say, I'm going to do a great work. I need to ad- address this. I see where the breaches are in this wall. I see how that woman at work is affecting what I'm doing at home. I see how, how I'm coming home and the first thing I'm doing is getting a drink so I can get away from the stress of it all, including my marriage. I see how I'm, I'm vegging out around the television to try to avoid it all. Some of, we, some of you need to climb a ladder and stand up there and say, I'm going to do a great work in my marriage this year. We're going to go see a therapist. We're going to go see someone that will unpack some of this stuff for us. And we're going to dig in deeper. And next year, we're going to be drawn closer because I'm going to do a great work and I am not... Coming down, You guys, some of you, it is about a change that needs to happen. That maybe you have a job that you know needs to change, that you, it's taking you away from family, you're traveling so much that you're not seeing family, or it's, it's taking up so much your time that not, you're not seeing family, or, it's, or, or, or you're so addicted to your work that you're not committed to anything else. Some of you need to climb a wall and say, that needs to change. I need to go. I need to move. I need to to do something to fix this. And you need to climb a ladder. And some of you, it's an opportunity. Maybe the Lord has placed some really cool opportunity right in front of you. To make a difference in somebody's life. To go do something. And a window you've got right now to be able to do it. And every part of you hear it and say, yeah, but I am a cupbearer to the king and I'm not going to do that. And Maybe it's that opportunity that you're just going, no, i got to step right into that because I've got this, this, this chance to stand up there and say, I am doing a great work and I am not coming down till this is finished. Some of you need to jump at that opportunity. You hear something like Cuba, and you've never gone on a mission trip. And that's the reason why you won't go, because you've never gone on a mission trip. I've never done that. Those are for the people that go on mission trips. You just go, no, that's for you. Maybe that's yours, where you just go, I'm going to climb that wall. Yeah, but I can't because i got kids, or I can't because i got a job, or I can't because. And you go, no, I'm going to climb that wall. I'm going to stand up there and say, I'm going to do a great work. I'm going to do a great work. And I'm not coming down until it's finished. Man, when I used to work with our college students, I'd meet with our leaders before the year started, and I would tell them about this. I'd go, you guys, look during the college years, this is the years that their, their lives are being shaped. They are making decisions that will impact the rest of their life, and you have a unique opportunity to speak into that. I would talk to all of our leaders and just go, you have an opportunity to speak right into the heart of their issues and their stuff, and you can make a positive impact in their life and influence them towards something, towards Jesus. You can do that Right now in their life, do you realize the unique opportunity that you have? That 30 years from now, they can look back and they can just go, gosh, Jimmy Allen and Steve Call and Pat Kelly and, and, and Dave Austin and Denny Ryber. These guys were people that spoke into my life. And you can be one of those people. You've got that opportunity. You can climb that wall and you can say, I'm going to do a great work and I am not coming down. You, you, you high school students that are heading off to college, you'll climb a wall and you'll stand there and you'll have a choice. I know what's going to bring me down off this wall. I know that girl is really good looking or I know that that, that, that party looks really great and I really want to do all that. And you climb a wall. You can say, I'm going to do a great work. I'm going to do a great work here. You guys, what we need to realize with this is that this, this great work that God has for us is, is, is beautiful. It's not God's, conde- it's not, God's not condemning us. He's not disappointed in us. He's not saying, oh, why have you let yourself get to these places? He's saying, come on, I, I, I love you, and I want you to walk up this ladder, and I want you to stand on this wall. And I want your life to, 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 to see that and, be, and, and, and for you to experience that joy of saying, I'm standing on it and I'm not coming down. And I recognize that getting to the ladder is hard. You've got the Chick-fil-A and you've got the Taco Bell that's in your way. Getting to the ladder is hard enough. I know stepping one step on the ladder with some of the stuff we're talking about is hard. But I was talking to my friend, Janie Dantucci, that helped me last week. I was talking to her about it. She's going, you know what? The hardest part is the second step. The first step's on the ladder. The second step is the hard part. The second step, you can either step back down, and Nehemiah could have stepped back down, or step up and go towards what God is calling us to do. And you will sometimes say, I can't do it. You will say, I have tried and I have failed in it, and I can't do it. Gordon McDonald said this about this, because he, he wrote a book called Resilient Life, which is what we're talking about. And he said this, he said, I began to understand the front edge of an important principle leading to resilience. Resilient people face the brutal facts of their mistakes. We ignore them. We fall back in the same patterns. We quit, but they recognize and they see the brutal facts of their mistakes and their experiences, their sins, their blessings. And they learn from them. That's how they repair the past. He says, resilient people run free of the weight of the past. They respect the power of memory and they squeeze the past for all its wisdom. We can say over and over again, I have screwed up. I've tried this and it doesn't work. We can say, this is too hard. I can't even get on the ladder. And he's saying we can take our past and squeeze out wisdom from it. That's what Jim Rabin, the mentor in my life that died just a couple of weeks ago, that's what Jim has said to me year after year. We would get together at Carabas, and it was orange juice and an orange. He would squeeze the wisdom out of my past and say, here's where you can learn from it and here's where you can grow from it because Bill, I know that you have trouble getting to the ladder. He's going, I can get you to the ladder, but you gotta step up there and you gotta go all the way to the top. The writer of Hebrews talked about how Moses and Noah and all those people did this, and they climbed the wall, and they got to the top, and they said, I am not coming down because God's doing a great work. And at the end of that, of what he shared about that in Hebrews 12, he says, let us strip off everything that hinders us, and as well as the sin which dogs our feet. And let us run the race that we have to run with patience, our eyes fixed on Jesus, the source and the goal of our faith, for He Himself endured a cross and thought nothing of its shame because of the joy He knew would follow His suffering. And He is now seated at the right hand of God's throne. Think constantly of Him enduring all that sinful men could say against Him, and you will not lose your purpose or your courage. It will take courage to climb to the top of the wall, it will take courage to get through the gauntlet to get here. It'll take courage to go from step two to go to step three and keep going up the wall. But when you get up there, our God gives us the steadfast endurance to keep going. And we can say with confidence, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. What is he laying right in front of you? Here's what I want you to do. We're going to, I'm going to play a little bit more of this, uh, of this before, we, before Becky sings our last song. I want you to take the bulletin that's out in front of you, and I want you to just write down one thing. What's your wall? Just write one thing down. What's your wall? And look, if you can't come up with one thing, write a grocery list so you don't feel weird that you're not writing anything and everybody else is. Just write one thing that is your wall that you know the Lord wants you to climb up. And after about a minute or so, Becky, you'll kick in. Father, I want to pray as these guys are writing this stuff down, I want to pray that you would reveal that stuff to us. What's right in front of us? What do we need to do? Where do we need to go? What rung do we need to climb up? What's right in front of us that we keep pushing aside? What's the great opportunity? What's the change that needs to be made? What's something in our own mental state, in our own physical state, that we need to see change in our life? God, we pray that you give us the courage to walk up to the ladder, the strength to climb the ladder, and the endurance to stay up there. God, help us to see that it is a great work because you've called us to it. And help us to have the confidence to say, I will not come down.